0: Take it for granted to understand your word. Uh, we know you reveal it to us, and so we ask that you would do that now. And Lord, would you graciously use me, uh, knowledge uh, that apart from you, Lord, I'm just a clanging gong, Lord. And so we pray for you, to, um, for you to, to minister to the people of God through my words. Pray that you would humble my heart and allow me to be jealous for your glory, not my own. Um. We just ask that you would change our change our hearts, Lord, change our minds, change our lives. Like just use this time to exalt your name. In Christ's name. Amen. You see the family. Um, if you need Bibles, they are in the pews. Uh, as, a, as a local community, um, we, we go through books of the Bible. We teach uh what we call uh, the Exposition is, is, is us taking what, what the scriptures are telling us and then and letting you know our, our job as leaders is to help you understand what, what was happening in the mindset of the author. So you can understand the author's intent. And then after understanding the author's intent, um, which is a uh, you know, great observation or interpretation, and then we can have healthy application. That's, that's our goal. We uh, go through books of the Bible. If you're online, you'll see we've, we've gone through the book of, of John. We, we're right now in the book of Exodus. Uh, I believe we're in chapter 35, which we will actually revisit uh, after Easter. We will begin 35 in in Exodus until May, and then we will uh, finish Exodus. Uh, Praise the Lord, enter to a new series. A couple commercials real quick, Uh, not just during Easter Sunday, but after Easter. A couple cool things are happening. Um, We will, by God's grace, as you guys know, we have put Alex up um, as uh, nominating him to be an elder uh, gave you guys an opportunity to uh, respond if that is uh, a wise choice or not as a congregation. And uh, just excited to affirm, to let you guys know um, that it was unanimous that the people of God uh, want this man as an elder of this local church. And so we will be. That's very important for us as we understand the sovereignty of God and how his spirit moves and works. So we will be uh, installing him and all of our elders uh, week after, after Easter, so that's exciting. In addition to that, um, as you guys know, uh, discipleship is our membership here in our local body, and so there's individuals in our body who are now uh, saying, I want to be in a discipleship relationship, and what we, we realize in uh, the, the spiritual battle that comes with that, uh, and so what we'll do is uh, those individuals, we will actually bring them up, and we'll be praying for those individuals as well, girding them in prayer as they enter into covenant community, so um, a lot of cool stuff is going to be happening in our body. Um, so, we'll be praying for those things. Uh, back to how we roll. Uh, so, yeah, we, we teach uh, like that. And then what we've done, uh, we have these seasons in the church calendar. The season that we are in right now uh, is called the Lent, the Lent season, uh, season of Lent as a local community, we pause in Exodus because again, we don't want to be a traditional, um, although we do our own thing in some ways, uh, as the Holy spirit guides us. We also understand that there's a millions upon millions of Christians who are following on a calendar throughout the year. And, uh, and that calendar is therefore reason because what it does, it retells actually every year, the story of God, uh, from his incarnation, uh, to the resurrection. Uh, and actually even beyond, even with the days of Pentecost, through actually the sending of the Holy spirit. Um, and so that's what we've done right now as we look at the Lent season. The Lent season is a time where, uh, where at, at, at some level the goal is to remind us of, of God delivering his people uh, and also preparing our hearts uh, for uh, the great, uh, just a great opportunity that we get to experience man, what Jesus has done for us as he died to pay for our, our sin and as he rose from the dead. And so it's six weeks, uh, and hopefully during that six-week time, uh, historically what's supposed to happen is that the, the people of God, the church of God gets together and we're reminded of the goodness of Jesus. And we spend this time confessing and repenting and recognizing our sin and dealing with our stuff, right? Uh, and then you, we enter into this time, uh, Palm Sunday, which is um, the culmination of what we call Holy Week. Okay, it's the week where we get to see, and uh, we get to see Jesus coming into Jerusalem uh, on a with a one-track mind. One-track mind. Guess what? To save His world, to save you. And so, uh, and so as a as a local community, we pause to, to talk about this, to remind ourselves of what God has done. And, and then that's why we do Monday, Thursday. And so we basically try to follow historically what happened during Holy Week as we are kind of retelling it in our own hearts and minds and trying to go back and understand historically, here's what our Savior did and here's, how, here's what the response was of the first century Jewish people and here's my response as I understand their response to their king because now he's our, he's our king too. So that's, that's the goal, just letting you understand that there's a method behind uh, the goodness of what God is doing through the calendar. Uh, this time in particular is an exciting time. We keep the kids here because we want to keep retelling this story. And I'm going to try and make it, uh, hopefully, it'll it for young people as well. But this story is very important. And what we're talking about, when you talk about palms, we're talking about the triumphal entry. Okay, when, when Jesus enters uh, into Jerusalem, and basically what's happening during that time uh, is very important because uh, we I shared a few weeks ago, and we've talked about this during our time of of, of sharing throughout Matthew the, the the Jesus understanding what is he like? That's what our series has been as we prepared ourselves for for during Lent. We've talked a lot about the, the reality that when, a, when authors are writing the scriptures, they get to a point where you start to see all these parables. You start to see what they call apocalyptic um, uh, writings. And that's what a parable is. It's apocalyptic in nature. What I mean by that is it's a time where, where God is, is saying he's about to usher in a judgment is that you start writing, you, you start writing in parable, and, and, we, and we understand this. When we look at the Gospels, he tells the parables themselves, people didn't understand. And the disciple says, why are you, why are you writing in parable? He says, because I want some people to get it and some people not to get it. See, he gets to a point, and we all are like this, right? You get to a point where somebody gets on your last nerve, right? See, I want to propose to you, the way we operate now, although fallen, the way we operate as humans... Is on purpose because the way we operate actually retells the story that God created you. And so when you see Jesus doing things, he does things like we do because God created us. So he's just kind of showing you that's normal. When people get on your nerves, people get on God's nerve. Right? Right? He goes, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm tired of you doing this over and over and over again. And therefore, because I'm holy, there'll be a judgment. And so he begins to tell these parables, and he's telling these parables because he's kind of saying, look, now I'm to the point where I still—I I want the, the door open for salvation, but I'm realizing I want it to be people who really, really want this, right? Who's really, really hungry. And I want to propose to you that that journey actually in, Ma- in Matthew uh, be- begins actually right, at, right before this—actually right after this triumphal entry, right, where he starts giving all these different parables— and so, even though this is kind of decoded as well, this is a the, the, the triumphal entry in a nutshell is is a cry out. It's, it's um, and I'm, I want to make this. Hopefully, I can prove this through the text. It's it's, it's a cry out, and that's why I don't want to. I'm going to walk through the text, but I wanted to share in the beginning what it is because I think he wants it to be that clear. Triumphal entry is, is is beautiful. It's Palm Sunday. It's it's going into the Holy Week because God is saying, I want to give people. Uh, another chance another try i want i want this week to be the reset button for for my people i want this week to be the reset button for people who don't know me i want people to understand like okay you've been wild and not doing whatever you've been doing maybe chasing other guys maybe you had me and another guy this is the time for you to recognize that i actually i am who i said i am and i want you to hit the reset button because right now you're settling quit settling and experience the king that, so, so he comes in. I'm I proposing to you what he's doing. He's telling us all, hey, guess what? I'm so gracious. I'm so merciful. I'm so good. I'm going to hit the reset button yet again for you. And I'm going to give you a chance to respond to my claims. Let's look what he says in the scriptures. Hopefully, uh, this will be proven. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now, when they, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, <coughs> which, by the way, um, as they're, as they're coming to Jerusalem, they've, um, this place is kind of a suburb of Jerusalem, as it were, you know, if you were to call it a suburb, and, uh, right near Bethany, which is the town where a lot of Jesus' friends live, you know, Lazarus, uh, Martha, Mary, uh, this is where, uh, my man was, was, uh, risen from the dead, which I propose is on purpose to do it near there, right before he gets, gets into the triumphal entry, so people can kind of make the correlation there, that's that same dude who did that, um, this is a place where, uh, yeah, it's a couple miles out you know, east of Jerusalem. And it says, uh, as we continue on, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Verse three, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them, uh, send them at once. So this time is about assessing and, 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 and resetting family. And look what he does. I want to start by saying, I don't even think this part is, is supernatural. You know, um, maybe you might have thought, you know, he went to the people. They were in a trance. He said, hey, I need the donkey. I need the coat. And he was like, well, you not get my donkey. He was like, I need the donkey. I need the coat. <laughs> and he was like, okay, here you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, that's what I thought. That's what I'm, I'm saying. That's what I thought. But as I, as I, as I, as I continue to know that like, this stuff is done in history, and that Jesus, a lot of times, uh, every once in a while, he would use some of that deity piece. But this is, I think, this is him. Just, this is uh, well, historians. I want to say, now, I didn't come up with this. Historians and theologians would say um, that this just shows uh, his popularity, that he had been in this town many times. He had done awesome things through in this town many in this town many times, and that when he said that. When they went up and said, "Hey, I need a coat and I need a donkey," there might have been pushback. But when they said, "Master needs it," they said, "Oh, Jesus? Oh, yeah, <laughs> cool. You can, you can, you can have this." And, 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 and you notice when he says the Lord needs them, it was the, the discussion was kind of done. That's neither here nor there. That's not an interpretive key. I just think historically, uh, I think I would fall in line with uh, some of these historians who would say that it was Jesus, just his rep. He had such street cred. I mean, he gave, cats would give him his donkey. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I think that's what's going on there. Uh, so, so you have in, in this passage the way that Jesus is going to proclaim Himself. Uh, I want to propose to you he's going to do it um, through symbols. And so what he's doing uh, through through this whole time is he's going to use these symbols to scream out to you and me who he is and 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 basically not only who he is but what his postures like, what his demeanors like. Okay, this is what he's doing here. Verse 4, let me, let me pause, let me pause, I'm sorry. One of the symbols right here is the donkey, okay, the donkey. First of all, you have uh, a donkey and you would think, well, why would he be on a donkey? Well, he's, Jesus does this all the time. He uses culture to, to accent a very important truth, right? And we do this too. So he uses what's around him. And he knows that these donkeys uh, were always written. They weren't written in non-military uh, non-military personnel, but they were written by kings. So donkeys actually were written by kings. So uh, and I can, I can I can I can you can fact check that as you look at the Old Testament, uh, they were not the, they were not beneath the dignity of the, of the king at all, uh, but they communicated something when a king rode them. They notice also he talks about it being consecrated. He says I don't want I want you to get the donkey that hasn't been ridden on. So this donkey, as it were, was consecrated for a specific use. So it had to be a, a, a donkey that had one use, and I proposed that a use was to, to usher in the king of the universe. Let's continue going. on, verse 4. This took place to fulfill, to learn more about this symbol here, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." So here's what's so awesome in this passage here. Historically, uh, antiquity confirms that while this procession was happening, you had Jesus on this, on this cult, and you had all these people following him, and it was crowds. It wasn't just the disciples. And I would propose that the word disciples many times is a general term. We think it's just the 12 disciples. A lot of times it's a general term because he had literally multitudes of people following him because he was doing so much, so much good in these different communities. But there's something else going on, guys. During this time, there was also another profession that took, a procession that took place. And notice what God is trying to do here to contrast. There's a procession uh, that happened through the governor. During the time of the Passover, uh, Pontius Pilate led a procession filled with uh, Roman cavalry and centurions into the city of Jerusalem. So while, so while they were doing this whole you know, cult and Jesus and all the people, there was a procession. In antiquity, where these guys actually had these this group of centurions, this group of soldiers that would come in as well. And now, why why would they do this? I want to propose because before that, and this was like eighty years before. Uh, there was a revolt. If you guys are familiar with the Maccabean revolts and the different revolts that happened in antiquity, there was a revolt, and that was the Jewish people. Every once in a while, got tired of being ruled because they were ruled by the Romans during this time. It was the greatest power of the day, and they were being ruled. And every once in a while, they would have a revolt. Now, this is very important. Stick with me. It might be a little academic, but stick with me because it's going to make sense. And the last uprising they had was uh, between was in Pilate's time. Uh, I'm actually long before his time in four four B.C. And what happened during that time, they had a revolt. And in that revolt, they actually end up killing, this was the, uh, the armies, end up killing over 2,000 Jews who were accused of being part of the rebellion. Okay? So they killed all these Jews and made a spectacle of them. And so, when, so whenever, they did this up, whenever they did this procession, the whole point of the procession was to remind the Jews who actually were in power. Because if you notice, we talk about this, if we're, now we're going through any of the gospel, we talk a lot about the fact that, you know, Roman was running th- Rome was running things, and they allowed the Jewish people to do kind of, to be Jews, but it was kind of bizarre to them. Even this whole Passover week was like, why, why are these guys doing this? I don't get it. But what we don't want... Because now you're bringing in millions of people. Because you remember, when the Passover came, people, all the Jewish people from all around and proselytes from all around came in. And so they were very nervous that people would get together and start talking like, Yeah, man, why are we, why are we getting ran by these guys? And all of a sudden, you know, people start getting together. Hey, let's have another revolt. They did not want that. And so one way they could kind of squelch that is to continue to build fear in people. To continue to remind people that we're in power and you're not. That if you do this, remember what we did in 4 B.C.? there was a few thousand of you guys that we had to kill to remind you that we're running things. And so they had this procession to remind them of an earthly king who was in power. Hmm. What do you think about that? It's around the same time of Passover. Wait a minute. Around the same time, you got this earthly, you know, procession happening. You got this, as it were, spiritual procession happening. As it were, you got this this, this rival king, this rival kingdom coming in saying, actually, is Caesar king or am I king? Who, who, will you, who will you revere? Who will you fear? I think there's a huge contrast going on here. So you have the powerful, mighty reminder of, of the Jews who are running things in the natural realm, right? But I want to propose you have also at the same time, This rival king who's kind of coming in, not saying, you need to fear me to you, but he's coming in humble on a cult around the same time. Think about that. Look what he quotes here. Hope you see the contrast here. One's meant to build fear and trepidation, and then Jesus is building tranquility, and he's humble. And look what it says in Zechariah 9.9. That they're quoting uh, from the text we just read. Chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. The scriptures read, and this was inspired by Zechariah 500 years before Christ um, jumped onto the scene. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see that? Here's what's happening here. Let me just interpret this passage real quick. First, he's he's letting you know he's he's letting the people know as as he as he quotes that he's saying God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't he 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 knows you're here. He has not he has not forgotten you. He says he he says he starts by saying rejoice greatly, all daughter of Zion. You know Zion is nothing short of Jerusalem. Rejoice greatly, people of God. Well, well, why can't they rejoice? Well, I mean they're they're being they're being held captive. They're Right. They, they have you have the Romans the Romans are running things. He said, but that's right. You can shout triumphantly now because, as it were, the rival king, the true king is coming in. He says, shout aloud. Right. So it's, it's this word of like a, trium- a, a trumpet blast he's given. Well, why the king is coming? See that? See, that? See, 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 before when the king would come, it was bad news because it was an earthly king that didn't have their good. But no, he's saying the king is coming. But look what it says here. It says, and and he's righteous. You see the text there? It says righteous and having salvation. He says your king is coming to you and he's righteous. And that's that's so exciting. If you are uh, an oppressed person and you hear that term, that that should excite you. Because it's letting you know that first, this guy is going to successfully stand up for what is right. Whoever this king is. He's going to stand on the side of right. He's the only righteous one. Doesn't mean that things will be, not be done wrong, but it means that God will make them right. His point here in quoting that, in quoting that text is simply this. And I hope this, hope this this is for the first century Jew, but this is for us also. His point here when he comes in is to say this. God is going to take care of it. God will take care of it. That's the mantra of, of, of those of us who know Jesus is that we as you know uh, someone said I don't know if it was here but somebody was saying um, like what do you do with you know the problem of evil like an unbeliever would say to Christians all the time and use this apologetic I think I've said it up here before but I'll say it again you should not get scared as an unbelief as a, as a Christian someone tells you how do you handle the problem of evil right uh, how do you handle Hitler you know massacring people and all this stuff right no, the, the, actually, the unbelievers should have the bigger problem. Think about it, guys. We, see, the thing is, if you, are, if you don't know Jesus, if you're just into religion and you're just doing your own thing, guess what? Evil happens. Sadly, people get molested and, and, and things happen to people and people have murders and we have sin all around the world. And if you do not know Jesus, guess what? Evil happens and nothing happens to evil. You just get away with it. Right? Think about it. The difference, the difference and our, our Lord and Savior actually is the problem, handles the problem of evil in a wonderful way because God says, guess what? No, 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 See, no matter what happens in life, every action. Notice the scripture tells you every, everything, everything. He says one day we will be held accountable for every action. And he says, he's all things. See, see, the thing is, God says, I'm not forgetting anything. See, the the cool thing is, see, you don't just die as a Christian. There's a resurrection. And the Bible says there's a resurrection for the believer and the unbeliever. And there's a great judgment. And so actually, I want to propose to you, when people say, hey, man, what do you do with the problem of evil? I say, guess what? The believer, we believe it will be judged. We, my, my, my Lord deals with evil That wasn't in the notes I just want to give you that for an apologetic You hang with people, say that craziness You tell them actually that's not our problem as a Christian I think it's yours as an unbeliever you, He'll take care of it See some of us need to hear that Because man we get done wrong And maybe this, I'm preaching to myself And I want to handle it You know what I'm saying I'm like, I can't wait until the new creation, Jesus. <laughs> and and, and it, it, takes, it takes a lot of trust to be done wrong, to have injustice happen, and to trust that your God is good and he sees it. And he'll take care of you. He'll take care of you. Right? All right, so... <laughs> He goes on. So the, so I, the, the, the donkey is, is, is an important metaphor here because he's, he's trying to show us something about what God is doing here. Look what he said. Let's keep looking. It says he's having salvation. literally means saved. I'm, 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 I'm staying on this donkey piece because it's very important. Look, he, the king is not coming mainly as a strong warrior here, guys. He's coming as a gentle peacemaker. Now, this is really important. Stay with me here because he's coming as a peacemaker. But there's a reason why he's stressing that now. He, He's right. He's strong, but he's not like you know. He's not. He got anger issues and steroids and all this stuff. He's just he he he's looking at the issues. He's humble. He's mounted on his donkey. He's he's humble. The word is used as meek. Old Testament kings and sons rode on donkeys, uh, animal of peace time. That's what it was. So we see this uh, clear as day that there's a. There's an initiating of, uh, when, when he comes in on the king, I want to propose he's initiating right now a kingly act. Uh, Jesus clearly wants the people, for you and me, to see that, wow, he's coming in as, as a king. He's saying that he's running things. I don't know what he's running, but he's running things. Now, here's why this is important. The reason why it's important is he's coming as a, as a, on a donkey right now is because what he's doing is he's saying, my hands are stretched out like this. And as you look at my hands and you see the blood, it's my blood. That I shed for you and I'm coming right now for you to embrace salvation to embrace mercy to embrace love and kindness because right now I'm coming meek and mild and peaceful but there will be another time when I will be on another horse revelation says he will be on a white horse. And so the reason why Jesus is proclaiming this during the week, Palm Sunday, and right now, the whole week, he's saying, come, become a Christian, come, know me, come, have your sin paid for. Because he's saying, I'm letting you know right now, you're kind of getting on my nerves. And I'm gracious, and I'm coming. My arms are stretched out. But one day when I come back on the white horse, when I come back to judge all men, it'll be too late. I'm proposing to you, he used the donkey metaphor intentionally so that you will see the difference in his posture. It's not a mistake that Revelation tells you that our Savior, as he comes as a king, and all of a sudden that blood that was now, that was his, the scriptures tell you that he's on a white horse. And what does it say about the blood at that point? It says that it's all over his gown because of all the destruction that he had to cause on those who are evil. So, man, it's just a cry out. Palm Sunday is a cry out to reset, to, to assess that, that humanity. Hey, have I been giving my life to dumb things? Am I, am, I, am I not receiving that embrace from Jesus? Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. The scriptures say... They brought the donkey and the colt and put the, uh, on them their cloaks, and he sat on them, right? Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches, palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So you have another symbol here. So you go, well, I don't really understand the, the donkey symbol. Well, I hope you do. Uh, but, but if you don't, he, he gives more symbols. He gives you the symbol of people pouring out, their, taking their clothes, and they're, they're, just, they're laying them on the, on the ground so, so that this, this majestic figure can walk through. And they're, they're grabbing these branches, and they're putting them on the ground and saying, wow, you're, you're worthy. And, and when you did this, when you made kind of a carpet for people, a pathway for people, you, it was a way of honoring the person. Uh, the address would be 2 Kings chapter 9, you see that. Um, but notice this, another symbol. So they do that, but you know what? Sometimes it's not what you say is what you don't say. That means a lot. And it's interesting, they are lining up the road for a king, and he's receiving it. He's receiving it. He's not going, whoa, whoa, why did you put your clothes down there, Fred? Why did you do? None of that. Right? He's like, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, they understand who I am. Wow. More, more palm branches. More, more cloaks. Because I'm worthy. He does not, and, and that's interesting because always remember, throughout, throughout the scriptures, what do we see throughout the, the years that Jesus is on earth? He's constantly telling people, do not disclose who he is, constantly, right? He'll heal somebody, and they're like, oh, look at this. Not yet. I can't die too early. I got things to do. Be quiet. He shut demons up. Be quiet. They can't know who I am. All of a sudden, notice, notice in the text, the things that he was always called throughout Scripture, the, the, uh, the, the son of man, right? Son of man, what does that mean? How does that? And now you see the sense of he, he's, he's kind of entering into this, this. He's like, it's who I am. I'm proposing because he's trying to make it really clear that people got to make some decisions. And he's saying, you know what? I've done what I've came to do. So now I'm heading to that road of paying for the sin of the world. So, yeah. You know, this is interesting to me because he's, what this brings up is, uh, I thought of 1 Samuel. And, and how, you know, here it is. This guy, he's, he, he, he doesn't look the part, and they're, they're just ushering in this prayer. And I thought, this is so telling because Jesus is right now, remember I told you there's another procession going on. Right during this time frame, and then you have this kind of meek, mild procession, and it's amazing to me because it reminds me of First Samuel. If you if you if you read First Samuel, I highly encourage you to read First Samuel because it's a very tragic thing that happens. You have the people of God who've been protected year after year. He brought you know bread from the sky, water from rocks. God had delivered His people. He was their king. Right? He was their God. They were His people. And they said, you know what? You're doing all this good stuff, man, but this is just not cool enough. I just don't know if you're here. I can't touch you. I can't see you. It's kind of bizarre. We need an earthly king. God, give us an earthly king. And God, the father was like, oh, you can just tell as you're reading. He's, he's basically, why do you need an earthly king? I'm your king. I'm your king. How much, isn't that hard for us? How many of us can relate to that? Sometimes Is it hard to serve a Savior that you can't see? Is it hard to be faithful to a God that when you say something, he doesn't say something right back? Is it difficult? Is it hard? Well, you know what? If you say no, I'll tell you the Bible lied on you because you got a whole people group before you who had more, more miracles than you who still struggled with it. They struggled. And God said, you know what? It's destructive. It's going to mess you up, but I'll give you what you want. I'll give you your earthly king. And that's when Saul, King Saul, came on the scene. And it said it grieved, it grieved, it grieved the father. It grieved the father. I bring that up because if I look at this text, I, it's, it's just amazing to me how in my own journey and I'm sure in many of, in many of yours, it's so enticing to want the external things to be the focus of our spirituality, our walk with God, our Christianity, or lack thereof. Maybe people don't even become Christians because it's, a, because it's, a, it's, a, it's about a faith. It's a journey of faith in Christ. That's not sexy enough. But the folly of a human king... When we, when we when we when we when we want external justification, we settle for so little. We settle. So the symbols that we see of Jesus' reign, we see this donkey, we see the garments, we see the palm branches. He goes on and says in verse nine, "And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting." Here's another one. If you say, those are those are clear. Look at the, look at this one. Look at this final symbol, the people. It says, well, if you don't, you don't believe all that, look at, the, look, at, look at the people. They're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Right? And this was not just the 12. This was, this was the crowds, the scriptures say, the multitudes. It's like uh, Psalm 118. Is what's happening here. It says, and when he entered Jerusalem... Uh, the whole city was stirred up, saying, "Who is this?" And the crowd said, "This is the prophet Jesus from the Nazareth of Galilee." The declaration of the people, guys, is shouting out that this is your Lord. This this is him. And they didn't even know all the doctrine. We see at the end, they still called him a prophet, but they knew something. The guys, like I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what's going on. But that dude is not like me. You know. So the crowd says, that this is Jesus, the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. You have the declaration of the people here, proclaiming the goodness of Jesus. And notice, and then we're going to go home. Notice that the, uh, in, in this passage here, it doesn't tell you who these people are. But actually, when you go to other pericopes, you go to, uh, math, uh, you go to uh, Luke, for example, it'll let you know it's describing the leaders. And so you just get the sense that people were trying to fake for a while, you know. Have you ever done that? You ever been in a crowd of people? And and there's somebody in the crowd that you don't like, but everybody else like them, right? And so you can't be the dissenter right there, because then you look dumb, right? And so they be they laugh at the person's joke, and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> right? You ain't ever done that. Come on, man, right? So you can tell that these guys are, they're there and they they, they want to kill Jesus, but man, everybody like them. How are we gonna pull this off? But notice, I, I just love, I love how man. Some anger is just it's, anger is is evil. It's just like you can tell that they get to the point where they can't even hold it in, and they try to make it more spiritual. Like, and they try to ask a question, but you can just tell the anger, the hate, just, just haters. You know what I'm saying? They're mad, and they finally just kind of say, well, "Who is this? Why is he doing this?" And the people respond, "He's he's a good guy, basically. We don't know what all, all that he's doing, but he, he's a good guy." I just, I just love, I just love, I, will, I want you guys to uh, look at Luke and to see how uh, that passage comes alive in that, in that way as well. Here's what's happening as you think of the triumphal entry. How, how shall we live based on what's going on here? Can I, just, can I just make it, the text seems super plain. First and foremost, we all got some work to do. As I, as I was reading and I was just meditating on the passage and I was spending time with the Lord, man, the Lord is like, okay. I'm crying out to you who I am and all I'm telling you to do is if I'm king, live like I'm king. Right? Live like... He, he wants you and me to to live like he's actually the king. If Jesus is your ruler, right? That's what the whole point... His kingdom, that means you're under his rule and way. is not a place. It's an issue of, of rule, allegiance. If he's your king, he's saying, hey, then then put down your other rival kings. Put down your other idols. What are are the things that's hindering you and me this Easter week that's coming up as God wants us to reset that's hindering us from experiencing our king as he is? That's the question he's asking all of us. He's asking you to really consider that, to to really think about that. As he comes on his his proverbial donkey and he says, hey, I'm here, yet again, to remind you what I've done. So, ask yourself, what rules you other than Jesus? What, what's ruling you? I mean, that's man. I, 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 the reason why we you know we do our discipleship and our mat groups and all this stuff is, is, for we want we want we don't want we're not just trying to. It's not a control fest. Um, it's, it's an attempt for, for us to, to recognize that, man, we um, we're susceptible to deceiving ourselves. Um, that, that, man, some of us are in this room right now. You have a double life, right? I mean, you're like, I, I'm so. I, I hope they don't find this. I hope they don't find that. We. I don't want anyone in our local community living like that. It's a lie. And Jesus is he's so gracious to continue to say, hey, I know it's hard. I'm giving you testimony of people who were smarter than you, who knew more theology than you, who saw God move in greater ways than you, and they even struggled. That's why he says in Corinthians 10, all the sin, the stuff you're dealing with right now, where you're thinking, man, but you don't know my sin. Yes, your sin too, the, the Lord says, is not uncommon to man. He said there's nothing anyone in this place is struggling with where there's not a million other people sitting there. I struggle with this too. I want you to hear that because that's a display of hope. Is that God, actually what he does is he saves broken people. He saves messed up people. He saves people who don't have it all together. That's the beauty of the gospel. Doesn't that make you excited if you're broken? Maybe I'm just really jacked up but I get excited I'm like man I get to be saved and I know how crazy I am yeah. you, ain't by yourself, you know what I'm saying so so I so I want to encourage you this is not pull yourself up by a bootstrap proclamation from Jesus our Savior this is our Lord proclaiming his excellency showing he's humble and he's coming he's saying I'm going on this road and I'm making my enemies my friend by, murder, by getting murdered for you That's what I'm about to do right now. And if people are going to recognize it, they're going to recognize who I am in my reign and they're doing all these things to just let you know you're going to be in safe hands. I'm actually who they say I am. That's what this is. So now you can go, man, can I really give this over to God? Yes, you can. He'll protect you. He'll guide you. Well, I don't want to be this this Bible, you know, walking toting Christian. I want to be a cool one. No, no, let, let God deal. Look, come to Christ, He'll deal with your spirituality and, and your formation and was going to look like for you to proclaim the gospel. Don't wait. Don't wait one more day. Don't don't do the double life stuff. Switch sides. I'm proposing it's all about switching sides. He's saying, hey, I'm I'm here, there's a lot of people screaming my name. Awesome. There's a lot of people in this crowd who don't like me. And I'm giving you an opportunity to respond. And finally, to the believer. Guess what, guys? We're going to do our, our response in communion. The, the believer, there is a, uh, this whole text is about rejoicing and pain. Um, how do I say this? So it's interesting, as I was reading the text... We get to rejoice because God is our king. Right. We get to be excited about that. And so now he gets to handle all of our stuff. We got we got all kind of different issues, you know, anger issues, our relationship issues, jealousy, um, loneliness. I mean, you name it, you know, just in, uh, uh, insecurity. Right. I, you know, I mean, I, may, I mean, we all struggle with insecurity. It's all kind of stuff. And then God says, I'm, I'm, I'm your king for all of that. I got you. I'm going to protect you. I'm running things. This is my world. And so now that allows you to, to go to school with great fervor, that allows you to start a business with great fervor, that allows you to, to work in vocation knowing that your king has you, that allows you to, that allows you to have a family, to, be, to enter into those spaces knowing that as you serve God, he, he, he's going to intimately guide you. The invisible God is actually in your midst. right? He says, no, 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 don't, don't buy the lie that you need something external to validate what he's doing in your life. You don't need that. He's trying to wake you up from that. He said, No, 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 no. You don't need the external stuff. I'm telling you, I died and rose historically. No one still found the body, y'all. <laughs> and people wanted to dispel Christianity, they wanted to historically you know I get we have degrees in this stuff you should see the historical writings and antiquity of 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 the money and the the resources that the Roman guards put into trying to find and dispel the the myth as it were of Christianity and guess what it just kept growing it just kept growing you know why I didn't find a body because it rose from the dead (laughs) that's why I didn't find a body but I see all that to say, so you have that peace. We get to be excited about that. But you know what? At the same time, what's interesting to me is in the same passage in another, uh, another gospel, the author gives you a little more insight into what was Jesus feeling. It seems that in the midst of him on that donkey, he was kind of sober. He was kind of chill. And then it says in the scriptures that he, that he it says he, he, he grieved, he, he cried. He was in pain. You know why? Because his, his ride on that donkey, guys, it meant that some people were going to receive him, and it meant some people were going to be damned to hell. It meant, it meant he's going to destroy. He, he's, he's, he's just. He knew also that, man, see, I would propose, people, we think that Jesus was on a donkey, he was just kind of scared of, oh, my goodness, the nails. I'm proposing to you, I would propose there was two big feats that Jesus was dealing with. It was the payment of the sin of the world, And it was also the the reality of that man, the people he loves and creates, he's going to have to destroy because he's fully just. He doesn't want to, but he knows if you do not experience my blood for your salvation, I must, I must pay you, as it were, you must pay for your sin. And guess what? I want to propose to you that that same demeanor is actually ours. It should be ours in a sense. We rejoice, but there should be a sense in your heart that as we rejoice and as we're reminded of Easter and Jesus rising, that means there's a world out here of people who don't know Christ, of people who are not going to experience that grace on Sunday. They're not going to go, yes, he is risen, he is risen indeed. They're not going to say that. They're going to say, no, I serve my own God. And they're going to be on a one-way track to eternal hell. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. What's cool is Jesus, he rose from the dead and ascended, and then he says, but guess what? He's so gracious, I'm going to still give you that charge to make me know. So I'm proposing on this triumphal entry. He's triumphant. And man, he's, he's burdened because of what the payment he's going to have, but also the payment that he will give out. I just us to think about that. Look at the passage where he talks about weeping because he looks at the people. Let's respond. Second coming is an end of patience. And I don't want anyone in this room to experience Jesus as an enemy when he comes back on a white horse. Young people... Older people in this room, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have not trust him for salvation, I pray that you would do it now. That you would confess your sin, ask God to give you the grace, ask for forgiveness, repent of your sin, and believe in Christ.